This is Geek Gab with your host, Dornall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Saturday, February 12th, 2022. Dornall, how was your week? Hey, man. It's been good. I don't have anything spectacular to report. Let's just say that the quiet life of working from home and playing wingspan with my loved ones made it a satisfying week. Plus, we've got some great weather these days on the home front. I'm making some plans for my yard. You know, I'm thinking about planting some trees this year. Really? What Why not? Trees? I think I'm going to do some fruit trees, apple and pear. I'm sorry, that just ran into like three thoughts of mine. Like Johnny Appleseed was the thought I, I first had when you said fruit trees. And then you were like, oh, yeah, I'm planning to plant some apple trees. And I'm like, ooh, Johnny Appleseed. And then uh, it ran into the last movie I saw, which talked about apple trees. Uh, which I just saw a couple of nights ago, which was The Witch, the horror movie from 2016, which I just saw for the very first time like two days ago. And that was a whole subset of emotions right there. This is that's why we do the show, man. This is an emotional roller coaster. Someone just has to say apple tree and and we set you off. Oh, I've got all these thoughts swirling around in my brain, man. And these thoughts collide and we bring them out on the show. Yeah. I guess I could do a pocket review of The Witch. <laughs> it's spooky, man. And it doesn't so much end as it just kind of stops. Doesn't have an ending. It just stops abruptly at one point. It takes this sudden left turn and stops. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> so, yeah, but it is really, really freaky. I'm going to take your word for it. Okay. Um, my week was a little bit more eventful. I, uh, you know, there's this Amazon Lord of the Rings thing coming out <laughs> and, uh, Vanity Fair did an article on it. So they published some pictures and I was on Facebook. I actually didn't know this to begin this story. I had no idea. I mean, I knew Amazon was doing this thing and they apparently released some pictures and some people were like making fun of it and stuff, but I didn't care enough to go see the original pictures. Apparently they did like a gallery of 25 pictures of people's hands. Hey, here are like pictures of hands of 25 characters. I never it's heard inspiring. of that. It's yeah. inspiring. Never heard of that. And then they did some other commercial pictures that people were making fun of. And I caught like one meme of them making fun of it. And I was just like, whatever. I didn't even care. And then on Facebook, somebody posted uh, one of the pictures from the Vanity Fair article that was like, uh, you know, Dwarf Queen from Amazon's uh, Vanity Fair. And I thought, okay. It, it basically looked like 
um oprah winfrey <laughs> if she had princess leia buns that had grown so aggressively they were about to eat her entire head so that's just her weave bub that just these huge huge bums buns all over the sides of her head and oprah winfrey in a dress with you know cheap looking gold jewelry on it it looked awful just terrible costuming uh dwarf queen and so i reposted that on twitter and then a bunch of other people started chiming in the most common comment of which was where's her beard because supposedly dwarf women in middle earth have beards and cannot hardly be distinguished from the men um and i thought huh well that's getting a lot of people interested. Maybe I'll go see what the other pictures are. So I went and saw what the other pictures are. Got a picture of Galadriel and got a picture of Elrond. Oh, man, Elrond looked awful. I still haven't quite articulated what Elrond, what made Elrond so awful. But he looked like Doogie Howser's, like, long-lost Sawyer twin brother. Um... And then Galadriel, who was played by Kate Blanchett in the movies, you know, the shimmering, ethereal, sorceress beauty of Lothlorien is drowning on a piece of wood and she's blowing stuff up and wearing this cheap, crappy tin. It looks like tin it looks like tin that was cut out with tin snips and i know from tin snips because in sixth grade i had to use tin snips to cut out a piece of tin to make this little box for shop class and it looked like mottled tin it's just an awful costume um and she's walking around in this awful looking armor and I just made a comment like, I bet this is this show's woke, super woke, super action chick. And then I said, I bet she's better than the men at everything. Because I'm thinking, hey, she's the Ray character, right? Better than everyone at everything. Better than Han Solo at flying the Millennium Falcon and fixing it. Better than Luke Skywalker at the Force. Better than everybody at everything. Well, apparently, and I say apparently because uh, of the volume and vociferousness of the replies I got, uh, people got mad. I got enough salt dumped at my door uh, to keep the entire town here well supplied into maybe even the next century. I mean, these people were butthurt enough to keep an army of proctologists in yachts for the next century. They were 
angry. And the comments, we're a family-friendly show. So the comments, I can't repeat a lot of them, not because they're swearing, although most of them were swearing, but just because the concepts involved are not friendly for a family-friendly show. I was just like, geez, Louise, people. And this one lady got on and was just ranting at me saying, how dare you, you know, criticize her appearance. And I'm like, I didn't even say anything about her appearance, about whether she was good looking or not, or whether the armor was feminine or not. I didn't say anything about the armor. I just said she was a super woke action chick who was, I bet would be better than the men about everything. That's it. I said nothing. I tweeted nothing about her appearance. And so, you know, going forward, though, I don't going to feel any uh, remorse about commenting on an actress's appearance because it doesn't matter. Whether I say it or not, they're going to lie and said I did in a reply to the very tweet where I did. So it's like, yeah. Well, if you're just going to lie about it anyway, it doesn't matter. I'll say whatever I want. Yeah, that's that's the only philosophy. You can't... if Anything other than bending a knee to exactly what they demand is, uh, to them, is just a complete blasphemy. And they just go complete scorched earth. So you might as well just throw gloves off in the first round. You know what I mean? That's what I do. I don't, I don't deal with these people at all. I say exactly what I'm thinking. And uh, they deserve it. You know what I mean? There's just no... There's... There, there's there's no peace to be had with these people. They 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 don't want to compromise. They hate us. They hate what we like. They 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 want to deconstruct, destroy the things that we that we hold dear and we find meaningful, whether they be pop culture or folk art or or classical things or you know what have you. They want to tear down our statues. They want to tear down our culture. They want to tear us down. And they're completely uh, radical about it. They're foaming at the mouth about it. So I don't, I, I, I have no, I have no mercy for these people. I've, I, I have, yeah, it's just, and I think that anybody that tries to go in and have a, like a, let's meet in the middle conversation is gonna, is, is gonna learn real quick that these, these aren't nice people is what I'm getting at. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you're having fun on online with it, daddy war pick, but between the, between the meet in the middle conversations and the responses you get, hey, don't get me wrong, man, trolling the trolling folks like that is fun but when you gotta wade through all those replies all i gotta say is play stupid games win stupid prizes that's why i canceled all my social media accounts the Can't funniest response i got though uh was uh someone said that elrond looks like that camp counselor who wanted to talk give you the talk about uh the changes to your body. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, ouch. Not untrue. Ouch. So, yeah, that's that's what my week has been like I, for the last couple of days. And I'm not complaining. I mean, I just, uh, the tweet got, re, got quote treated by several people. And now I've got like, you know, these big YouTubers are quote tweeting it and they're all upset. And I'm just like, dude, whatever. It's just like, I'm, I'm waiting. Cause like 
my tweets about She-Ra showed up on BuzzFeed. I'm just waiting for someone to tell me I showed up in a some YouTuber's video or showed up on BuzzFeed or something again where they can call me out for being uh, being a uh, uh, you know, misogynist and uh, hatefully hate monger and all that. That kind of that kind of makes me think. How long has it been that these weird culture war news sites just became Twitter aggregators? Mm. Uh, do bloggers and and so-called journalists spend their whole lives online searching for salty or spicy tweets to put in a in a listicle or something like that. I you don't. It's so, been forever, but I can't help but think that there are more productive jobs available in today's economy. You'd think so. So hey, do you want to introduce our guests? Sure, I'd love to. Uh, you guys have been listening to Dave Martell, editor of the Biz Archives, uh, a science fiction, uh, short fiction magazine. Uh, you can find uh, that. We got links to his uh, to the Biz Archives online. Um, welcome to the show, Dave. Good. You want to give us more? Yeah, sure. Thank you so much, guys, for having me. Um, as he said, my name is Dave Martell. I'm editor-in-chief of the Biz Archives, Weird Tales of Monsters, Magic, and Machines. We are a, a pulp fiction, and more specifically, a weird fiction um, uh, publication that puts out our main publication is called the bizarre archives itself. That's our flagship. We have two issue. We just started last year, by the way, we are a, a um, we are a new, um, a new little outfit here, but um, we have two issues of the bizarre archives itself, which is a compilation of short stories written by aspiring authors in the, in the traditions of, of uh, sword and sorcery, uh, science fiction and cosmic horror and um, we also put out novellas, and and uh, very soon we are going to start getting into reprints. And we got a lot of stuff lined up for this year. But we do pulp uh, the way pulp's supposed to do. At least I I, I think we do. And uh, we work very very hard to make sure that we're putting out good fiction, good art for the sake of good fiction and good art. No no political nonsense. No social justice crap. Just awesome stories about awesome stuff. Weird monsters, uh, heroes, sci-fi sci crazy, whatever you could think of, all the stuff that we love that was present in the old pulps, like Amazing Stories and Weird Tales magazine is what we uh, try to to put out. So we are very much, as you could say, see uh, Weird Tales. of we are, we, um, Our main publication is very much a love letter to the old Weird Tales magazine, which we all know produced such greats as, you know, H.P. Lovecraft and Robert E. Howard and and uh, Clark Ashton Smith and Frank Belknap Long and Donald Wandre and so on and so forth. Um, it was a, a trem tremendous publication, but um, that's what we do. And we love doing it. And um, we're getting into some other stuff as well. Like uh, we have some aspirations to get into some other types of media. But as of right now, we're just doing the books and um, we kind of came out. So I'll give you guys a little bit of a history. Um uh, when the coat, uh, I don't know uh, the, the, um, what's, do you guys have like a code word for the, the cough disease? So you don't, I don't know if you guys are cool with saying that on here. <laughs> we actually never, I think we just straight up say COVID. We don't really talk okay. about it. 
Okay. Uh, other other than how it has enabled the world to go completely mad. I know, I know. Are, are uh, we not supposed to say that on YouTube? There's certain I've gone on certain shows, they say, hey, we don't say that. There's like I know one guy he says um he calls it the succulent Chinese meal. I know another guy calls <laughs> it the uh the Wuhan Koof and like I don't know, whatever. Yeah, whatever. If I go on a show, I you know it's their house, I'll call it whatever they want. And a lot of these names are pretty pretty hilarious, succulent Chinese meal. But anyway, does, does does YouTube like ban people for saying COVID? Supposedly, I mean, I know they. Go ahead. I know they I, I ban think... people for all kinds of stupid yeah. stuff. Well, I think I think they've been on a rampage the past couple of years. If you actually talk about it, like if you mention the word, or if you mention some of the verboten studies or possible treatments of it. They they I, they might have automated systems looking for that sort of content, or or they might have people listening for that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, they're they they've been on a rampage. There's stuff yeah. that you can't talk about. Yep. So, yeah, you know, apparently you get shadow banned or whatever. My my show, I we just say it straight up. Like we've been shadow banned for the last hundred years, so I'm not even worried about it. But um. Effectively, what happened is uh, when when COVID hit, uh, I lost my job, unfortunately, uh, with the lockdowns. Luckily, my state has you know since opened up, and my fellow Pennsylvanians over here have been pretty defiant and like not caring about any of this stuff. So they had to lift it pretty early. So things are mostly back to normal, except for our economy. Our economy is still kind of struggling. Not to get into all that stuff, but when it happened, we uh, you know I lost my job. Um, I'm kind of like stuck in the house. It was just, it was just lousy, right? You guys, everybody experienced this. Yeah. So I, uh, took a little bit of money from my stimulus check and I put it together and I put out a thing on social media and I said, Hey guys, I want to do something that's kind of like weird tales magazine. You guys want to submit some stories. And I got some really awesome guys that submitted some really cool stories. And I used a little bit of money to start the thing up with the website and the cover art Cover art's done by Mr. Donald Kent, who's a tremendous artist. Um, at least uh, the Bizarre Archives 1 and 2 is. This other one is done by my friend, uh, the, Light of, uh, the Light of Decay. He's a tremendous graphic artist and stuff like that. So we put a lot we put a lot of stock into making sure our covers look good. You know, we really, really um, like paying and involving artists. And, and Yeah, I, I, I dig this. Uh, what did you say, Mr. Kent? I, I like this. He's got a really cool just comic book style. Yeah. Yep, that's kind of then that's kind of what we wanted to go for. Like uh, originally, we wanted to uh, make it look like like weird tales and everything like that, and um, you know we kind of just uh, went in the direction to make it kind of look comic-y a little bit because we wanted to introduce it to a new generation, right? And people are more familiar if you show you show a twenty three year old guy, um, you know. Uh, um, I don't know, a dark horse comic and you show him a cover to, uh, um, you know, amazing stories or something. And you say, which one of these, these types of art is more familiar. He's going to say the dark horse comics, right? Mm -hmm. Comics are just more familiar. And that's what we wanted to do. We wanted, we wanted to bring pulp to a newer, um, younger generation and kind of revitalize it. So that's kind of why we went with that, uh, artistic direction and people really have liked it and I like it. And I think it, um, I, you know, I think they look really, really good, and I'm very proud of them, and very proud of Mr. Donald Kent for the tremendous work that he's done. Which this issue right here, uh, issue two, by the way, has interior art as well, uh, black and white interior art. Um, it kind of, it's almost like a love child between um, 
Weird Tales magazine and uh, Heavy Metal magazine. So it's like kind of like a like a blend of these two things that we used to. Those of us that are uh, grognards, old school millennials, and Gen Xers remember those kinds of um, things like Heavy Metal magazine. But anyway, I got my a little bit of money left over from my my stimulus check, and I started this thing up, and it kind of grew legs, and we grew this little tiny community around it, and folks bought a bunch of copies. And it uh, got picked up by some other folks like that have uh, YouTube channels and and different platforms. And it kind of grew legs. And I was bl- completely blown away with our with our with our debut of our first book. And it sold far more copies than I thought it was going to sell. And people loved it. So I was like, we got to do another one. now. <laughs> we, can't, we can't just like that can't just be it. So we've been getting going and. Um, I've been grinding on it and getting, trying to sell books and get it out to people. And so far we, uh, we have sold, um, uh, hundreds and hundreds of copies in over a dozen countries. And, um, we have, we are featured in, uh, four or five different storefronts and it's just, just been all us. We just been doing it and it's just growing on its own. It's just been such a blessing to watch this cool little idea that we all loved and worked on together like truly just blossom into like a legitimate publishing operation so um that's what we want to do and we want to we want to we want to write stories that are for regular people to make reading cool again you know so we write this short form for folks that um you know because we're coming into a time that is that is not unlike when the pulps were around during the great depression and the dust bowl and you know the economic crash and like all that kind of stuff while we don't have necessarily the, the same circumstances, we have very similar circumstances. We're, we, we have, we, we're living in an age of upheaval. People don't really have time to sit and like read books as much anymore. They don't have a lot of times people are kind of, um, you know, there's so many other distractions between TVs and movies and video games and, you know, their, their social media. So this short form really, really uh, works for folks that really want to get back into reading, but necessarily don't, you know, um, have time to crack open something like Dune or Lord of the Rings or Wheel of Time or, or, you know, something of that nature. So this is casual short form fiction, but it's high energy and it's super weird and it's thoughtful and it's, um, I'm just very, very proud of it. And I, I hope that people out there that pick up a copy, love it as much as we do. I think you've come to the right place. The We've been talking to a lot of guys who've been inter-reviving the pulps. As you have found out in the past year, you are not alone. Uh, have you ever, have you heard of the uh, magazine Cursova? Absolutely. I've actually yeah. chatted with, um, I can't remember his name, the guy that does it, Cursova. Uh, yeah. I actually have a few copies of, of Cursova. I really, really love it. Um, there's quite a few authors in there that I, I like, I like, um, I mean, we could go all into the, the different authors and stuff. And I also, um, I'm a fan of DMR books, old Dave Ritzlin and his operation over there. Uh, I have quite a few of his, of his books. I think they're just awesome. You know, he does great sword and sorcery stuff. There's so many cool ones out there. I could, I could be here for 20 minutes shouting out everybody. I think has a cool book out. But the pulp, you're right. The pulp is coming back, and it's coming back, and it, it's like the same. It's not like it was back in the 20s and 30s during the golden age. It's something different. This is something that's that's. This is like underground. This is like 
punk rock, heavy metal kind of, you know, this is like the, it's a little gritty. It's got some attitude. It's kind of edgy and, and raw. And, you know, it's, um, um, one of our, one of our writers that uh, writes on our Substack, he put, he, he put in a quote, I can't remember the guy that did it, but some, some author philosopher or something. And he said, uh, the working class is lumpy with talent. And that's what I have found is, I get, I, you know, I get a lot of these. I, I read tons and tons of submissions, and you know, I'm not trying to rag on anybody, but uh, a lot of the submissions we get, especially from from you know Americans, uh, have some. They're not really that well polished. We'll have there'll be a lot of uh, stories that have some grammatical errors or that just need tightening up, or they're not familiar with formatting rules and stuff like that. But the concepts and the storytelling. And, and and what's the, the the meat and potatoes of the stories themselves from these guys that they'll send me an email like hey man I'm I'm just a I'm just a welder or I'm just a carpenter or I'm this or that and um, this is my first time trying to write a story since high school or whatever and I hope you guys liked it and they send this very uh, very cool humble thing like I love you guys you know I, I hope you guys enjoy this and we read it and it's like that was a good ass story <laughs> I mean. Mm. And it's um that's just that that's the spirit of the pulp right there, in my opinion. It's not haughty, it's not uh uber polished, it's not from the ivory towers of academia, it's by the people, for the people, Joe Schmo, jerk off, all of us united together to read and write and engage in a a, a, a tradition of exciting, fantastical, imaginative, just awesome stories. And that's what the pulp is about. And that's why I love it. And um, it was just, a, I thought when I started Bizarre Archives, I was like, I don't think that anybody else is doing this. And I go out and I pop out on Twitter and like all the different, I was like, wow, there's a ton of people doing this. This is great. <laughs> that's awesome. And and the uh, the hunger is there. People want it. Uh, you said something really interesting about the submissions that you're getting. Mm-hmm. So your role right now is you're an editor and you're putting that together. Mm-hmm. What kind of if if I hear you correctly, you're getting a lot of submissions from people with a lot of ideas and desire, but just not polished. Like these these aren't professional authors. No. Are so, you having trouble or, or or how are you doing getting them the editing they need? Or are you just rejecting them and being like, hey man, get an editor. This is good shit. Get it, get an editor and send it back. Or how, how much are you facilitating the growth of the actual quality of the writing? So um, not only uh, do we do the editing, I'm not the, I'm just editor in chief. I have um, my lead editor, Mr. Cypress Walter. He does all of the editing. And then we also, we have um, layout and we have uh, several members of, of the, the bizarre archives um, crew that also aid with, with editing, they, you know, proofreading and, and so on. And so we have a whole crew of guys that, that, that go on with this. And um, not only do we um, help edit guys stories, uh, the bizarre archives is partnered with a, uh, a little organization called uh, the Midgard Institute of uh, fantasy and science fiction literature. And the Midgard Institute uh, has a program called the school for scribes. So we offer free resources and a little bit of tutoring for guys that really want to get into and become serious with their writing. So uh, if you put in if you put in a story and it, and it's a good story, but you need a little bit of work with your polish and your 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 technical skills, we'll help you out. 
We'll bring you in the chats. We'll, we'll send you emails. We'll send you links. Of uh, We have, um, you can go to the, uh, I believe it's midgardinstitute.wordpress.com and click on uh, School for Scribes. And there's all kinds of like when to use punctuation, capitalization, like different, uh, you know, just like very basic stuff to brush up on. And it's very short and succinct and to the point. And he uses um, um, Mr. Cypress, my uh, lead editor. He is he is very enthusiastic about the English language. So he loves uh, using examples that were, um, you know, from olden times. And he's a, he's a big into like old English and middle English and just like the the history of, of the English language and stuff like that. So he puts a lot of effort into making these nice bite sized, but really, really uh, cool um, teaching resources for guys that want to that have the spirit and the passion and the talent but don't really have the skills. The skills can be, can always be taught. If you have, if you have, if you're, you're a sharp guy and you have the talent and the imagination and the drive and the hunger to do this, you can always clean up your writing. I have cleaned up my writing. Mr. Cypress has helped me from our first issue till now. And my stories that I'm writing now are just like night and day compared to my first ones. So you will notice as the bizarre archives go on, the, the authors that appear in our stories um, they, they, uh, get better over time. And it's not just that we have like, um, it's almost like a, like our, our, our authors where it's like, a, we have like a different kind of vibe. It's like a manor bund. It's like a brotherhood. Um, we're like a bunch of, we're a bunch of bros. And in fact, um, a lot of the guys in, um, uh, uh, uh in England, we're kind of like 50, 50 between American writers and, and English writers. Uh, our English writers like to meet up and, and do spiritual things and, and go, um, you know, uh, do things like that. And they be, they've become friends in real life now because of it. So it's, it's a really, really cool thing. Um, it's, it's not just a publication. It's a, it's a community and a, and a, and a friendship and a brotherhood and kind of a little movement, I guess you could say. So, yeah, we don't, if you put in a story, we don't just, we don't just reject you. We uh, try to help people because we want to, we want to, we want to breed a whole new generation of awesome storytellers. That's fantastic. Uh, that's kind of heartening for me to hear the about the people meeting up in real life. Like we were talking about uh, world gone crazy and, you know, sitting around with your stimulus money, what do you do? Hey, you create a place where people can get together. Uh, that's that's something we need and stories are something we need. All right, I'm, I'm done editorializing. I also want to know, about a little bit more about the business because you got all these writers coming in and we've known for years that even if you're going to make a living as a writer most people can't but short fiction has not been a way to make a living as a writer since the pulps (laughs) it's been about a hundred years so how how is it for for these writers is is everybody sort of coming in like realistically or or are you seeing what's the market like are there's a lot of passion for these stories but is there a lot of business in it is it are are people really satisfied with what they're getting out of it um do you mean uh, the the readers or the the writers the writers so um i can't fully answer this question because we're such a new publication i don't even know what our um, we're not, we're not to there yet. We're not, we're not eating off this quite yet. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we got, we've got a ways to go. So I can't answer that all the way. However, I do, we, we are implementing a, 
um, a little bit of a different business model than what is traditional. Um, short form fiction tends to, to sell very well. It's, it's an easy sell. Um, it's something that you can, you can, people will impulse buy because it's usually, it's generally a, a, a lower price point. It is, um, it's just an easier sell. It's like, you know, you know, it, it, it's just the nature, nature of the beast. Somebody is going to buy a, a small book for eight bucks before they buy a huge tome for 35 bucks. It's just hmm. the way that it is. So, um, the problem with this, in my opinion, and this is something that we're implementing, or we're beginning to implement is that we still use the old school pulp model of paying our authors. Um, and when I, before I started Bizarre Archives, I had a few stories I was shopping around and I was trying to give them to these, um, you know, different uh, publications and they would be like, Oh, this is a great story. Here's I'll give you 80 bucks or Hey, here's a great story. I'll give you, you know, 110 bucks. And I'm like, yo, most most authors that are kind of in the, the semi-professional like um kind of feel they go for that because you know you get paid per word or or whatever and nothing against people that do that because that's kind of how the industry's been for a long time um the problem with that is uh first of all i kind of disagree that the idea that a story is valuable because of its its number of words is just a bad metric to measure uh, how much a story is worth because I've read stories that were 1,200 words that I thought were like some of the best stories I've ever read in my life. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We're just, you know, I mean, for example, like H.P. Lovecraft. Who's going to say that H.P. Love, like Lovecraft never wrote a full length novel? He's only really wrote short form stuff. Nobody in a million years is going to say, oh, well, his stuff is worth less than, say, I don't know, Wheel of Time or something like that, right? Nobody's going nobody's gonna to say that because Lovecraft was such an innovator. His stuff was such so powerful, right? But um, back in the day, he got paid per word. And we're still using this model. And I believe that it's, um, that it's an outdated model. So what we are implementing is what we are uh, calling the, uh, the Writers Guild. Instead of us, uh, we, first of all, I wanted to have consistency in our, in our book. I didn't want, uh, you know, uh, to pay cut guys checks. They go loose. I don't see them again for another six issues. And then my, my books are all over the place. There's no consistency. And like, you know, I, I didn't want that. I wanted, I wanted writers to be invested in this. I wanted writers to, to, to be part of like, be part of the clan, the bizarre archives clan and be and consistently contribute to us. So what, what I've developed is what, what I call the writer's guild and the way the writer's guild works is um, you write with us for however long. And um, after so long, we invite you into the guild and you get a very, you, you are required to write uh, a story for each issue of Bizarre Archives, which is quarterly. And then you have just some, some other, um, excuse me, light, light duties, like perhaps like, Hey, could you help uh, proofread this story? Or, Hey, could you, um, help uh email this person or just just like very small little tasks that we uh ask you to to fulfill and then if you when you are a member of this guild you get a per, you get a portion of all profits i believe it's uh 10 you get 10 of all bizarre archives profits forever as long as you are in that guild but it is it is invite only it's not really like it you're it means that you're a person that we want a part of the foundation of the bizarre archives 
And what we're hoping to achieve with this is that over time, once we, we once we're getting the big money and we're eating off of this, we got this, we got uh, uh, a bunch of guys that are like stakeholders in the bizarre archives and they are part of it. You know I mean? It's that you, it's not like they're just like people that we could just fire or whatever. It's not like they're just like, here's your check. Bye. I'll see you next time you need a small check. So what this is, what we're hoping to achieve with this is um, giving guys, in, instead of like giving peanuts to a lot of people, giving large portions to a few people that are loyal and that uh, give to the spirit in the flavor of Bizarre archives. So that's kind of the, the, the system that we're going to implement. So it sounds like in return for getting more reliable people and getting people a little bit more cash for the work that they're writing, you're also building a stable or you would like to build a stable. Yeah. Yes, sir. Or do you have a, now I, I, I love that you were talking about how you focus on the weird stuff. Mm -hmm. you, you know, you're, you're into the pulps, but you really like the weird stuff. So are, are you sticking with that as a theme or a house style or something like that is that is that that is going to be your continuing focus yeah um like i says on the website if you send us a really awesome uh high fantasy story or a really awesome just kind of you know planetary romance or just like whatever if you send us an awesome story i'm not going to turn around turn away an awesome story but um when it comes to our overall overarching theme yeah we focus on on uh weird fiction and we can we can get into what weird fiction is and how it's a little bit different than your your standard pulp fiction, if you'd like. I'd love to hear that. I I want to know your perspective. What what is what is weird fiction to Dave? Okay, so, um, so okay, where can we start with this? Weird. Well, everybody here knows what pulp fiction is, right? Pulp is. It used to be a medium. It used to be the the physical. Um, medium that was used to to uh, uh, you know, print the stuff, but now it's kind of a vibe, right? It's kind of an umbrella genre, and it's kind of like just like a vibe. Well, um, weird fiction, uh, in in my view, and this is this is my definition. People out there can debate it and and uh, say different things or whatever. This is just this is just my take on it and what it means. Um, weird fiction is a, a little bit of a variant from Pulp Fiction because in Pulp Fiction, you get a lot of uh, very um, straightforward, standard kind of stuff. This is where you get your Doc, Doc Savage and your your gangster noirs and your cowboy stuff. And, um, you know, it's where you get kind of your everything, right? Um, weird most of Go ahead. Most of the pulps uh, that survived more than, you know, single-digit issues, published adventure. And uh, back in the day, fantasy, science fiction, um, you know, boxing stories, uh, air stories, uh, all of these were sub were settings for adventure fiction, pirate stories, Correct. you know, like Kidnapped and um, The Count of Monte Cristo, Three Musketeers, uh, Treasure Island. Uh, these are all adventure stories. And so uh, the pulps, when they came along, they had very highly specialized magazines with specific settings for adventure stories. Um, and uh, weird fiction 
was the fiction that focused on kind of your horror, uh, creepy, darker end of uh, of these different settings. So mm -hmm. it could be out and out supernatural, or it could be science fictional that is focusing on technology, uh, fictional technology or whatever. Um, but that's what Weird Tale did. They would publish science fantasy, they would publish science fiction, they would publish anything as long as it had that, you know, creepy, fantastic vibe to it. Um, and they were they were the magazine all through the 30s. They they were tops. The only time uh, I'm and I'm uh, I just read the first of JD Cowan's articles uh, last night um on fandom uh, and he was talking a lot about this in sales numbers and stuff but yeah they uh, uh the pulps when you want to talk about the magazines coming out they were adventure stories they were entertainment uh they were to keep people uh uh to to bring them some excitement and some um you know uh bring them some uh, thrills and chills and mortal peril and all kinds of awesome stuff and even uh, even horror stories. We think we tend to think of horror like The Witch, the movie I talked about at the beginning of the show, right? Where it's just all atmosphere and spookiness, um, and those aren't bad. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but even. Um, I'm going to pause and let you go on because I have to hear something. Okay. I'm done. All right. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, Daddy Warpig's absolutely right. Um, pulp was was adventure stuff. It was uh, he mentioned actually. He says thrills and chills. We say that ex if you go look at our website, uh, that's what we say. Pulp is about is about the thrills and the chills, and that's exactly what it is. Pulp is um, experiential. It's about um, adventure. It's about experience. It's about fun. It's about it's like um, it's like Chad fiction. It's fiction for Chads is what it is. Not to say that the ladies can't like it. You know, I mean, there's there's uh, pulp out there for the ladies. But for the most part, uh, pulp fiction is Chad fiction. And when we get into weird fiction, I actually have, um, and, you know, Daddy Warpig's absolutely right. It, it delves into things that are uh, uh, stranger or darker, or I would actually say um, uncanny or psychedelic. And I'll, uh, so when we get into what is weird fiction, you know, now that we've defined pulp fiction, everybody knows what that is. We have to kind of look at. We got to do a little bit of dive into some etymology and some um, some Indo-European metaphysics. So when we think of the word weird, we have to trace that word back to what it means. The word weird uh, goes back to the 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 old Saxon word weird, w y r d. Those of you that have uh, read or seen Macbeth will remember the weird sisters who are a kind of a cognate to the Norns that are found in um, the poetic Edda. And um, this, what the Norns you know, represent, which is past, present, and future, uh, being Skuld, Verdandi, and Erd, which are the three Norns found in the poetic Edda, um, they are 
they we uh, weave the web of weird. The web of weird, which is also called Erlog. Erlog is an ancient Germanic word that means overlaw or natural law. Or um, if for folks that are familiar with uh, Vedic theology, will understand this as Erta or Dharma. And what these these uh, words are are referring to effectively are the governing laws of our reality. These are the forces of externality that order our reality uh, of the natural world, not natural as in the material world, but natural as in all things uh, material, immaterial, and other, as well as the immanential processes therein, all of the things that order reality. And if people um, are listening or like, what the heck is this guy talking about? Uh, Think about it like this. Um, Fate and time are laws of reality, like how gravity and inertia are laws of reality. Um, Anywhere you go in the universe, gravity and inertia and um, mass and all that kind of science stuff, that that those laws apply. The same thing goes for uh, fate, um, you know, um, time, so on and so forth. So that's what these things are referring to. The web of weird is the determining mechanics of reality. It is fate. It is all of these things. It is what orders our reality. So when you say uh, now, fast forward to now, when you say something, you say that's weird. What you're referencing is that word weird, weird, the web of weird. So when you say that's weird, that is something that is that kind of obscures the law, the ordering laws of reality. That is something that's um, kind of sidestepping what we understand to be um, uh, uh, quantitative in our reality. So what you're saying is this is something that's kind of off, right? This is something that's kind of uncanny. This is something that's kind of psychedelic that kind of sidesteps the laws of reality. And that's why I think when you say that weird fiction is something that focuses on the darker or something that focuses uh, on horror or something. And while those things are true, I don't think that those words uh, kind of define weird fiction in its totality. What we're looking for in weird fiction is that quality of uh, surrealness, that quality of this is kind of real, but kind of not. And it gives me that weird feeling because uh, there are a lot of weird fiction stories that are not like they don't have they're, they're not gory. They're not uh, violent. They're not dark. There's no ghosts or anything. It's just a story. It could be an uplifting story, but the qualities to it are strange. The vibe, the atmosphere are kind of uncanny and uh, unsettling or, or weird, but it also can absolutely go into the idea of horror, the idea of um, sci-fi. I think, I think uh, to me, and this, this is a can of worms and this might get turned into a big argument, but um, when I think of sci-fi proper sci-fi, I think of um, earthbound um, stories that are that are uh, warnings of technology because science fiction came at a time where man was unsure and um, unsettled and had a little bit of a nervousness with his his uh, um, with his future in a, a, a technological society. He had he had concerns about the technological future and where they were going and a lot of that stuff. We could get all into you know kind of how prophetic some of this stuff was, but. Um, that to me, that is science fiction. Uh, when we get into like stuff that's like you know John Carter of Mars and Dune and so on and so forth, like I think that those things are great and I love those stories. 
But to me, those are fantasy stories. Those aren't science fiction because there's no like uh, nature of Luddism in there. So that is why I find science fiction and obviously cosmic horror is my favorite horror genre. And that certainly has to go into weird fiction because of because of its uh, uh, uncanny psychedelic um, uh, you know, philosophies behind it. And then also sword and sorcery. Sword and sorcery is is like it goes in there too. So that that long story short, that's my my whole take on the nature of weird fiction. Love it. <clears throat> uh, just to paraphrase, make sure I understand what's going on. The weird fiction is is you've got a, a setting or, or occurrences that imply or show that the way we understand reality is either wrong or in in a lot of cosmic horror examples meaningless that yeah. there it's it's sort of a nihilistic there we thought we understood how the world works here here's how it works in this story and wouldn't that be strange wouldn't that be weird if this happened yeah well that's that's the um that's really the draw of of cosmic horror like it, it, it's pretty much saying like you know what if our, the, our entire understanding of our reality, the basic fundamental uh, ordering um, rules of our reality are all wrong. Like, what if it's all upside down? What if there's something that exists? And this is where he gets into the kind of like uh, Lovecraft, for example, gets into these kind of platonic ideas that there are beings that exist that are bigger than the universe and like just aren't even aware of us. That's that's the part of Lovecraft and that's part of cosmic horror that... Um, really uh uh freaks people out because it's not like ooh the spooky thing or ooh the the scary or the gory and some of that's in there but it's on a a, a fundamental philosophical level it shatters the human ego because uh since there's like some pretty scratch noise going on oh sorry sorry about that but um uh what was i saying um uh oh you're talking that. about we're, yeah, we were, we were talking about the the effect it has, uh, the weird fiction has on oh, yeah. the ego, tearing down the ego. Yeah, because the in modernity, one of the 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 world religion that has come out of modernity. When I say modernity, I mean the industrial age. This is the age where, um, and then also fiction reflected all of this. In the ancient times, they told stories of uh, man versus nature, right? And then when we get into kind of um, pre-modern eras, they start telling the story of man versus self, right? And then we get into now, or, or at least like very recently, man versus machine. And what this is, is effectively the, the concept of humanism becoming the world religion. Uh, Nietzsche was, was uh, a lot of people misunderstand Nietzsche when he said that God is dead. He wasn't uh, applauding or, or cheering for the death of God. What he was saying is that man no longer truly believes in God and has killed him and has placed himself wrongfully upon the throne of God and therefore will um, uh, uh, you know, reap the, the consequences of this. And he was absolutely right with this um, uh, critique of the direction of man's understanding of, of reality is that man... Uh, now worships himself. Man is now God. And man's condition is the highest ideal. It's no longer the greater good. It's no longer uh, the laws of nature. It's no longer um, 
some divine presence. It's now whether or not I'm safe or comfortable or if I if I can fulfill my pleasures and, and, and so on and so forth. So what has happened in the modern world with uh, industrial society and humanism becoming the new world religion is that um, the highest ideal is is ego, is self. And what cosmic horror does is it 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 forces the reader to take uh, his presupposition that he is the highest, him and his comfort and his condition are the highest ideal, and reduces it down to a worthless grain of sand in a vast uh, on a vast desert, and says that there are there is something that is so far above you that it doesn't even know you exist, and if it did, it wouldn't care. You're just like an ant and there's nothing you can do to stop it. You have no power. And that is what freaks us out so much. And that is why cosmic horror is probably the weirdest of the weird fictions. And uh, I'm glad you mentioned the, you know, that humanist religion uh, because uh, cosmic horror is a great sort of hold a mirror up uh, to that and say, Hey, look, it's, your your part in this world is very small and it's um and if if i could digress because this thought just came to mind and i'm just going to do it that is one of the i think most important and uh, appealing aspects of christianity in the west because it's interesting that cosmic horror came out of you know is part of western fiction because uh that's the one religion that teaches that we are you know flawed and small and tiny but that the most important the most powerful thing that exists god actually cares about us and loves us uh and and the cosmic horror is a great way to look at it from the other way and saying what if nothing mattered? What if nobody cared? And that's where you get that sort of unsettling feeling when you're reading that sort of thing and you go, wow, that's that's a weird, that's a scary, that's a dark universe. Yeah. Um, I don't want to get too far into like a, a theological debate and stuff because, you know, me personally, I, you know, I'm, not, I'm not a Christian. But, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I respect guys that are Christians, but um, – um, uh, I, I I got that vibe. I just love, I love the way that those philosophies overlap. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the way they come at it from a, a different perspective. Um. Fantastic. Let's see. I wanted to ask more about. Well, tell me what are your favorite submissions so far? I'm going to put you on the spot. I, I hope not too many of your authors are listening that that you might have a favorite. <laughs> Oh man. Um, okay, so I kind of got to I got to break them up a little bit. Um, now I'm gonna <laughs> we have to take like the the uh, dad loves all his kids equally kind of. Uh, <laughs> yep. But um, me personally, I do have I do have preferences, and there are certain stories that uh, just hit with me personally a little bit harder than others. Um, I've I've learned to be uh, more objective when reading these um, uh, stories. To, so so it's like this isn't really my genre. This isn't really something I would go for. But this is objectively a good story, and this 
must go in. But me personally, when we look at, okay, Bizarre Archives 1, um, my favorites in there are probably, um, I really love Tanner's Gold. Tanner's Gold was probably my favorite in there. Um, I loved Baby Teeth. I love uh, uh, Shot at Redemption. Those are great stories. Um, obviously, um, there's just a, the White Dragon is a tremendous. M.S. Jones is such a good author that we have like we got really blessed in that we like got some really top notch guys. So it's it's really hard. It's really tough to pick, but probably Tanner's Gold and Bizarre Archives One is is my personal favorite. It's also I think the first story that that uh, was submitted. I think it was our first story. Wow. Yeah. And it's like still my favorite of the short stories. And then in Bizarre Archives 2, um, I really love, uh, let me think who, what all's in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I love uh, The Sound from Beneath by C.J. Miller. That That's the last story in the book. It is, it, I believe it starts out, it says that this is a story lovingly crafted. And he writes this story in the style of Lovecraft. And I'm telling you, if I sent this story to you and it said H.P. Lovecraft underneath the title, you wouldn't know the difference. Oh, this is a it is he just so brilliantly emulated his style. And it's such a good, weird story. That's a great story, man. And then also, um, you know, let me think what else is it? I really love Stranger in the Morgue. Stranger in the Morgue was such a cool little creature feature. That was such a cool story. Um, there's a, there's just so many. Oh, I love it. And, and these are all these, uh, regular guys who just wanted to submit some fiction and it turns out they had really good ideas. Well, some of these guys, uh, have been trying to get into the industry for a long time and kind of got blackballed. Yeah. Um, or they just like got it. Like for example, uh, or one author, MS Jones, who's in all of the bizarre archives and we're about to release, he has a full, a fantasy novel series, epic fantasy novel series called uh, The Chronicles of Heraldria, uh, which is going to be coming out very soon. Um, he's been sent. He's been sending his manuscripts to publishers for years, and he just always gets rejected. And if you go in and read his stories, and you'll be like, "What the heck were these guys thinking?" You know what I mean? These, these are tr- he's a tremendous writer, tremendous writer. He he he's like better than ninety percent of the modern stuff that's coming out, and they just completely ignored him. You know, they're they're lost because we're putting them out there and folks are are really starting to see the talent level on this guy. And then some of them are guys that um, um, pursued it. And uh, along the way, they they got into a different work field or they got married and kind of left it behind and they're picking it back up. Um, It's just it's everybody's got a little bit of a different story about what they're coming. Some of some of the guys like in in Bizarre Archives, too, we have a, a really cool story called Grim and Serpent. And it's about a Viking that gets trapped in this weird in-between world. And the whole story is effectively, he has his beef with his big sea serpent. He crafts a spear, takes a boat out, spears the serpent, has a big epic battle, drags it on shore, and chops it to pieces. And the story's great. It's just a great story. Awesome. <laughs> he, this guy, he's like a he's like a craftsman. He does like leather working and like all this kind of stuff. He's not like he hasn't written a story in years. And he wrote that and it just well, like this is a great story. You know what I mean? So you don't even know like uh, um, what you're going to get with some of these guys. They they you read their email and it says, hey, I'm a plumber. Hey, I'm a welder. And then you crack open and 
you know, two to two to 6,000 words of something that's really, really great. So, um, that's just kind of the way that it is. And also, that's fantastic. You know, I'm in there too. I, I write stories in there too. Oh, great. Yeah. I, I, I love hearing that there's a big untapped, uh, reservoir of ideas and talent out there. And it's like, we were talking about with the editors before it's tough to get, it's tough to turn that into a really good product, but I mean, all the guys who are trying to get into the industry, I mean, if they've been paying attention for the past 10, 15 years, there's no industry anymore. The industry that was there is like the big publishers are collapsing, you know, into, you know, into one, two or three. And, uh, and Amazon of course has changed, um, eBooks and print on demand, uh, is so, uh, mature that you can get decent quality, uh, cheap books out easy to, uh, to anybody in the world. It's, it's great. It's great. Um, we're, we're running out of time, but I did want to ask you about this other thing. We haven't talked about this cosmic horror double feature much. Uh-huh. And this is, this is by a single uh, author. Can you tell me more about that? So, uh, a Cuthbertson is, um, and, uh, like I said, he was actually, he wrote Tanner's gold, which was like the first story that we, um, received in our, in our submissions. And, um, He's also the first guy for us to put out his 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 uh, uh debut. Th- we're going to we're going to get into um we're going to start publishing novellas, like 40 to 60 pages short novellas with very low price points. That's kind of the direction that we're going to go in. And this was kind of our prototype of it and it did it did very very well. Um uh, the Cosmic Horror double features two stories that he wrote and um these stories are awesome. They are just awesome. If you if you like the Lovecraftian tradition, uh, you are going to really like these stories because uh, they're not clones. They're not in the the Cthulhu mythos. Which you know, I I'm, I'm I love the Cthulhu mythos. We all do, but these are kind of his own flavor. And he is uh, he's an Englishman. He's from a very unique part of England. Um, he's from North England. He's a, a little group. They're called Geordies, and they're kind of on the border. With, they have like um, a lot of influence from Scottish and Norwegian culture. So they have this really uh, colorful uh, accent and all this kind of stuff. But um, he writes these stories with this very strong English flavor. And the two stories that are featured in the double uh, uh, feature are Dredge and Prestwick's Project. Dredge is effectively about a um a group of english tough guys that get hired by this dutch venture capitalist that is draining out their bogs and it shines a light on a lot of the um sh- the, the the struggles of um the english working class during during this time period when they're just kind of getting like ripped off by by industrialists and uh, it really shines a light on a piece of history that isn't really politically correct anymore because um you know poor working class british people aren't really the poor puppy dogs that they want to shine a light on but so it's so it's, it's really cool in in so far as it shines a light on on these like cultural historical things but effectively the story is that these tough guys help out this this contractor uh, turns out that he's uh, draining these bogs to get to this weird otherworldly artifact and calamity ensues. It's a great story. Prestwick's project is a story that I have never seen these concepts before. And I've read a lot of cosmic horror. It blends like it, ha- it has like um, 
um, mad science vibes. It is this critique of pop science. It's about these uh, um, students that go to this modern um, industry or this uh, university. And you can see in the artwork there, it's kind of like um, it's kind of showing uh, this brutalist architecture of a modern university getting all jammed together and ripped apart and all, all jumbled. Uh, but it's about these guys and they get to work. They get selected to work with this pop scientist who is uh, sort of in the vein of somebody like like Bill Nye or Neil Tyson DeGrasse, whatever his name is, or, you know, the, one of those goofballs. And um, they're so excited to work with this guy. And he's so popular. He's like an Elon Musk or something like that. And they get working with him. And it turns out that he's doing something pretty weird uh, by like uh, 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 like mm, putting in like strange frequencies and it blends realities. And there's these interdimensional entities that come in and it's so it's it's so weird. It's mind bending time shifts, geometry shifts, and it is cosmic horror in a way that I've never seen it. And if you are a fan of the cosmic horror genre, you got to get that book. You're really going to like it. Dang. I don't even like cosmic horror and I'm ready to pick it up. Yeah. It's great. They're they're great. It's a great book. I like to think that all our books are great books. <laughs> That's the spirit. <laughs> oh, actually, I'm, I'm sure there are with, uh, with how quickly you become popular amongst the readers. Um, I think I've tapped myself out today mm-hmm. um i want to open it up to you anything that we haven't talked about that we you need to get off your chest anything else you want to talk about today dave no, no i just want to say thank you guys so much for letting me come on and run my mouth and hoot and holler about this uh, about, uh, about our publication because i really i truly just love this project and i know that you guys out there that love old school pulp i just if you pick up a copy i hope that you you love it as much as we do and you enjoy yourself and you get some some cool old school weird creepy vibes from it and um you like it and um not just us but guys if you're listening it is so important so so important for you guys to support indie publishing indie pulps you got to support it it's um for you like it's like a couple bucks like what you know 5 to 20 15 bucks or whatever to buy a book you spend that when you go out to eat you know you spend that on in the drive through going home from work that's like it, like let's let's be honest here when you pick up a copy of somebody's book whether it's the Bazaar archives or Kursova or DMR or all of the awesome publications that are sprouting up all over the place you like really really contribute to the success and the continuation of a truly beautiful literary tradition that is unique to our epoch and um that people are going to love for a long long time so guys buy the books leave reviews support your favorite your favorite uh, publications just let's keep this thing going and to you, to you guys that do uh much love and many blessings to all of you and uh, thank you guys so much for having me and um that's all i got oh thanks so much uh, I love to hear about it. I love to hear about this project. Thanks so much for coming on. Uh, I don't have anything else to add, so I'm just going to say I think you've got a bunch of new fans. We love indie pubs out here on the Geek Cab. Uh, we've had a great lively chat. I really appreciate everybody coming on and chatting in. I think we got a couple of your uh, your English readers joining us today. Welcome, guys. I hope that was a great uh, show. I hope everybody listening later gets a chance to check out the Bizarre Archives. Um, and uh, and ho- hopefully by then you guys have produced another couple of books. 
Um, Daddy Warpig, I'm going to leave the floor to you. Anything else you want to talk about before we end the show? Oh, yeah. Real quick in the chat, they're asking where to find it. You guys can go to thebizarchives.com and just click on the stuff here. You can pick, you can buy it on Amazon. It's also available. Books a million. And if you're in another country, there's several other um, distribution outlets that carry it. Uh, I believe Walmart carries there's it's 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 in a bunch of different stores. Uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter or Telegram, it is just at the Bizarchives. If you want to submit a story, the uh, the Bizarchives at gmail.com. Uh, do you sell ebooks? Yeah, we have we have ebooks ver- ebook versions of everything that we got out so far. Um Okay, uh want to apologize to the audience for the Bit of noise from my end of the mic. Uh, had a small emergency I had to deal with, so uh, the noise was my fault. Uh, I do apologize for that. Uh, the emergency's taken care of. No big deal. Um, I uh, want to thank uh, our guests for coming on. It's been a great show. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, want to thank everybody who came in and listened live, participated in the chat. Uh, great. Great discussion, as always. Um, we have some news. Uh, speaking of authors, we have uh, coming in April, and I know that's way out there. I was hoping to get this done earlier. But coming in April, Sky Hernstrom uh, oh, yeah. is coming back on the show. Um who is, uh, you know, one of my favorite indie authors and also um, J.B. Jackson is coming on the show um, also in April. And uh, we've got some other authors that we are trying to get on the show on March 5th. We will have the return of one of the first few interviewees we had on the show, uh, author Larry Korea. will be coming back. The Mountain What Writes. <laughs> so, uh, Larry Korea will be coming back on the show. He's got a book coming out on March 1st. We are waiting to hear... Uh, whether or not um, it, it's a bookie co-authored, um, but I am going to smack myself in the face. No, I'm not. Um, it's a book he co-authored with uh, Steve Diamond, and uh, we are waiting to hear. Steve Diamond is also going to be coming on the show with him. We'd like to have both. Uh, authors so we don't know if steve's coming on but we do know that larry has been confirmed for the fifth so we're looking forward to that um and uh that's everybody we've got for authors right now um we are uh scurrying about to uh get some new people on the show and i'm supposed to watch that uh, the the zombie show for next week so we can talk about it i watched the first episode though and it was a good episode i liked it 
I promised you I'd watch it, Dornall, and I will. I will. Hey, I just I can count on you to watch. Everybody can count on you to watch a zombie movie or zombie yeah. show. That's true, actually. So, um, <laughs> it's shamefully true. Hey, everybody's um, got their vice. I uh, I say I'm trying to remember if there's any anything else coming up. Um. I've asked a couple of other indie authors if they uh, and editors if they want to come on the show. Uh, we haven't gotten responses back yet, so um, we'll see. Um, I think that's it. Uh, so, thanks everybody for coming, listening live. Uh, this is Geek. This has been Geek Gab. Um, we are here just about every week. Just about the same time, youtube.com slash geekgab, youtube.com slash geekgab, or you can catch us on the Apple iTunes Store, the Google Play Store, and soundcloud.com to listen to us on the device of your choice. Thanks, everyone, who listens later on those platforms. Uh, if you want to participate in the chat, always feel free to drop by on Saturday. Although I was reminded this week by one of the editors who were setting up Sky and JB that uh, he lives in France and uh, finds it difficult to come and listen to the show live at two in the morning. Yeah. I'm like, no. Yeah, that's reasonable. <laughs> I find that uh, I find that really, really reasonable. So, uh, but if you can come and listen live, participate in the chat because we have some awesome, awesome, awesome listeners who uh, always have an interesting and great discussion. Or if you want to uh, listen later, come and watch it on YouTube because they preserve the chat for the future. You can just uh, while you're listening to the show, read the chat as it scrolls along, and uh, be edified. Uh, we are signing out for today, but don't you worry. Don't you fret. We will be back.